Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, we got a clearer picture of the Seattle City Council's new look. Is it a glow up? Well, time will tell. Seattle City employees got an email about how to save money in the midst of a fight for higher pay. And we take on the most controversial topic of all, the merits of Thanksgiving turkey. As the biggest food holiday of the year approaches, Publicola editor and publisher Erica Barnett and Soundview Strategies partner Sandeep Kaushik are here to break down the week. But first, let's get you caught up. Washington State is making a pretty penny off its carbon auction program. Seattle Times reports the latest auction brings the total raised this year to $1.5 billion. Polluters, including oil and gas companies and our state's biggest public universities, pay for carbon credits instead of reducing emissions. The carbon auction program is part of the state's long-term climate plan. The money goes towards programs to reduce carbon emissions and improve air quality. The Bartell closures continue. Capitol Hill Seattle blog reports customers have been told the Bartell on Pike and Broadway will be closing in early December. The Rite Aid at the busy intersection of Broadway, John, and East Olive Way across from the Capitol Hill station won't be an option either. Customers say that's closing too. Rite Aid officials have not officially confirmed either closure. And popular Seattle-based music station KEXP is expanding its programming to the Bay Area. The station has purchased San Francisco's KREV 92.7. And pending FCC approval, will be taking full ownership and operation of the station within the next few months, according to a donor email sent out Thursday. KEXP CEO Ethan Raup told donors the San Francisco station will have more or less the same programming that Seattleites have come to love, with the exception of a new Bay Area-based local music show. Oh my goodness, it is Friday again. I really hope your weekend is soon. Erica Barnett is here. She's the editor and publisher of Publicola and one-third of the Seattle Nice podcast. Really glad you're here, Erica. Great to be here. Sandeep Kaushik is here as well. He's a partner at Soundview Strategies and another third of the Seattle Nice podcast. Great to have you, Sandeep. Glad to be here. Welcome to Casual Friday. All right, you two, let's dive into these election results. Big shift on the Seattle City Council. Election workers are still counting ballots, but it seems the Seattle City Council will have five new members and two incumbents. Tammy Morales and Dan Strauss, both winning re-election. They'll be the most senior members now. There are a lot of people who thought that progressive candidates would get trounced in this election. And, you know, progressives did not manage to win any new seats. And Andrew Lewis, well, totally different story there, lost. The percentages didn't feel trouncy to me. And I'm curious what that tells you about what voters thought during this election. Well, I'll jump in. Um, you know, I agree. I mean, they were not trounced, with the exception of Andrew Lewis, who, you know, we can talk about separately if we want. But yeah, we're just looking at a few hundred votes in a lot of these races. Uh, ultimately, I mean, it was it a trouncing, you know, it, it kind of doesn't matter because the council is going to be, you know, considerably more conservative or moderate than the current council. But on the other hand, you know, this wasn't a huge mandate for new policies. Of course, every single race, you know, we could talk about it for hours and Sandeep and I certainly have. <laughs> um, every True. single race had its own, you know, unique characteristics. And these candidates all came in, most of them pretty green. So uh, it's hard to 
take like giant blanket lessons from seven very different races. But ultimately, we're going to have a, you know, a more moderate centrist council next year. And that's what's going to matter when they're making some of these big decisions about the budget and the comp plan and the uh, police contract. Close races in Seattle are kind of the norm in in recent election cycles. The the election in 2021 where Bruce Harrell, you know, absolutely won by a double digit margin in the mayor's race, I think is atypical. You know, everyone who's a close observer of Seattle election knows that the numbers you see on election night in that first count, you know, are not going to be the final numbers, right? There's typically an eight to 10 point shift left between the initial count and the final ballots. And, and you know, that's what's happened here. Maritza Rivero in District 4 was up 11 points on election night. She's up one point now, so it's about a 10-point shift. I think that's uh, that's pretty typical. That said, you know, I, I do think there's a, there, there is, while the, some of these races were closer than others, I do think there's a clear trend here, right? And we are seeing, particularly on the issue of public safety, a clear move by the voters over the last two election cycles to go with more moderate or centrist candidates and and to reject some of the propositions that have been made by the left. It's also going to be a far more inexperienced city council. So I wonder how that might show up. Shama Sawan is added there. There's no socialist to push progressives mm. lefter. How will this experience or inexperience show up? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. This is a very a majority new council. Um, most of these folks have not been involved with city government in the past, and there's going to be a learning curve. They're going to be drinking from the fire hose for a while. And I do think on questions, complicated policy questions, right, that have been front and center in this election, like homelessness or public safety that we were just talking about, it, it, it's one thing to campaign and say, we're not doing enough on public safety or the other guy's wrong or the other gal is wrong. It's a quite another thing to come forward with a clear policy approach and agenda, you know, pr that's proactive and leads forward. And I think that's going to be the challenge for these new council members. Now, I don't think there's tons of public patience out there for, you know, waiting around while you, you get your act together. So I, I do think it's going to be challenging. That's my follow-up question, really, is, you know, what can voters expect from this council, really? I mean, what does success even look like at this point with intractable issues like the fentanyl crisis and homelessness and affordable housing? These are, you know, deep, difficult issues for an inexperienced council. Yeah, and I think um, to expand on Sandeep's point, I mean, there were a lot of... Uh, sort of simplistic um, sloganeering type of things people were saying during the campaign. You know, um, one that we heard a lot was we don't have a budget problem. We have a spending problem. We just need to audit the budget and figure out where we're wasting money. Um, that's something, you know, that I've been hearing for more than 20 years in Seattle from candidates who say they're going to do that. Turns out to not really be all that easy or even possible once you get on the council. And yeah, I mean, I think voters are going to have to have some patience because, I mean, these are folks coming in with zero institutional knowledge. Maybe they'll hire staff with some, but when the city uh, throws out six council members, and I'm saying six because Teresa Mosqueda um, is going to be joining the King County Council, yeah. um, 
you know, they are they are voting for uh, a completely inexperienced group of people. And in this case, they have varying levels of experience with different types of government adjacent activities, I guess. But there is a real deficit of institutional knowledge that I think is going to be obvious when these folks get on council, you know, for everything from drafting legislation that will stand up to scrutiny legally to just, you know, holding meetings that follow Robert's rules, rules of order to, you know, sitting down next to uh, the mayor's uh, negotiators and the police union's negotiators and trying to figure out the details of this very complex contract that they're going to be arguing next year. So, you know, I think that a lot of them said, you know, I, I will do what the mayor likes. And so I think that Bruce Harrell is going to have a tremendous amount of power and leverage, at least at first, over this council. I I, I, I 100% agree with Erica on that. You know, I, I do think, you know, this was a really big win for the mayor, uh, you know, who endorsed a number of these candidates. Uh, every candidate he endorsed uh, is successful. And, you know, a lot of them are coming in green. And so... It's an opportunity for a mayor to kind of put forward an agenda and likely have significant support down there on the second floor in the in the council chambers for for whatever agenda he puts forward. But I think it's also, a, you know, it, it sort of Erica said this before on our podcast, it throws the gauntlet down too for the mayor. Right. Uh, OK, Mayor Harrell, you know, what is your plan on public safety and how are you going to deliver results or what is your plan on homelessness? And so I, I think that is real. I think, you know, that that the ball's in in, in the mayor's court and and this fresh set of council faces. And I think there are public expectations here that they're going to, you know, produce some results. All right. I bring it back to my question, though. What does success look like for this new city council then? Really? They're not going to solve everything. Probably won't solve anything, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to solve anything. I think that, you know, the uh, the economy, you know, could solve some of the issues around, um, you know, poverty, housing, um, or it might not. Um, but, you know, the city council um, inherently only has so much power to do anything about that. But, you know, they are also facing, you know, a, a bigger problem, which is a structural deficit that is going to, you know, force potentially some very hard choices. The last time we had a big budget deficit was in the Great Recession, and there were a lot of cuts and furloughs mm -hmm. of people working at the city, a lot of services that couldn't be performed, uh, human services saw cuts. And so, you know, if the plan, even if the plan is to, you know, uh, let's say massively beef up police and to crack down on uh, drug use on the streets, you're going to have a problem there because, first of all, police hiring is very challenging, you know, and second, I don't I think that there is probably some limit to the amount of money that the city is going to be able to pour into police. So uh, that's just one example. But, you know, when you're facing a budget deficit, it doesn't usually mean, you know, we're going to invest a lot in new priorities. It usually means, you know, how are we going to try to salvage um, some of the priorities that we have? Tough choices. Tough choices. Sure. Uh, yeah. Patricia, I think the way I would answer your question is I think Front and center, you know, we've talked about public safety being a big, the big issue in this race, but even we can make it even more specific than that. I think the issue that really drove the public safety conversation in Seattle during this election cycle was public use of hard drugs, right? And we had a huge vote in June, controversial vote, where they, the council initially voted down a public drug use a misdemeanor possession of drugs law, and then came back in September and essentially passed it, a slightly modified version of, of it. It was very much front and center in the debate. There's certainly some research I've seen that says when you ask members of the public in Seattle 
about public safety and you really probe that where they come back with and they say the thing that's freaking them out the most is when they're walking down the street seeing open use of people smoking fentanyl or passed out in a bus shelter or what have you right so i think it would really behoove the new council and the mayor to make progress on that front right and and i think to erica's point is well taken really making real progress on that is going to cost a significant amount of money, but I think it would be money well spent if this new council and this kind of new work, more centrist approach is going to take root with Seattle voters. I think that's one place where they've really got to demonstrate some progress. All right. Well, the election will be certified November 28th. Good luck, new council members with the gauntlet of Seattle politics. From the city's newest employees to some of its existing ones, city employees received an I'll call it an interesting email from the office of Mayor Bruce Harrell this week containing some tips and tricks for spending less money. The timing a little awkward. City employees are currently fighting for a cost of living raise. And Erica, as you reported, city employees were doing practice pickets last month. So clearly they're serious about this conversation. This email, is it tone deaf? Is it bad timing? Is it antagonistic from the city? (laughs) What happened here? Yeah, well, um, the email went out from actually the city's human resources department. And interestingly, they wanted to let me know that, that it was not uh, officially the mayor's office. So yeah, so it went out from HR, which is a mayor's office department that also oversees labor relations, which is negotiating with those labor unions right now over uh, what they consider inadequate cost of living increase proposals. That the, the nuance of that aside, I mean, yeah, a lot of city employees viewed it as incredibly tone deaf. One reason I know that it was a lot is I got inundated by emails <laughs> from city employees thanking me for pointing this out and saying how incredibly tone deaf it was. I mean, what 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 the email recommended, so it was, it was part of a self-care series that's usually like, you know, take some time to relax, you know, do yoga, whatever. But this was financial self-care. It was about ways you can save money and not spend so much. And one of the ways that they suggested was paying yourself first. So ha. instead of paying your bills, and this is literally what this philosophy says, instead of paying your bills, your rent, your light bill, et cetera, put some money into investments. So that was that was one of their bits of advice. Another was to understand the difference between wants and needs when you're deciding what to spend. You know, in case city employees who are facing the same, you know, eight to ten percent increase in prices that everybody else is, just maybe we're spending too much on avocado toast. And uh, so, yeah, so people people really regarded this as incredibly tone deaf and just very ill-timed. Well, you know, there's a part of me when I read this that thought, okay, having worked in an office for a really long time, I could see this somebody in an office being like, this is a great idea. We'll just send out these tips and that not making it up the chain of realization. You know, nobody's connecting the dots about how ridiculous this sounds, given what's going on. But maybe, Sandeep, I'm giving the city too much of the benefit of the doubt here because I read through this list and, you know, a couple of these things sound like, you know, yearly financial maintenance tips. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely audit your subscriptions. You don't need to pay for that garbage, but start defining wants and needs. I think city employees are defining their wants and needs, and one of them is a cost of living raise. So, <laughs> right. Look, I, I don't think you're giving them too much of the benefit of the doubt. I give them the same benefit. I, I think this is a left hand, right hand thing where, as you say, you know, there's somebody over there writing these 
you know, kind of kind of self-help emails, you know, buried in the bowels of the HR department. And it wasn't really being nobody was kind of looking at this globally about about what the impact's going to be. So I thought Erica's story was, was sort of funny and timely. I will say this, though. I mean, it, it's sort of indicative of the fact that, hey, you know, Maybe it is time for some belt tightening at the city of Seattle. Like, why oh is why God, is, man, any, Sandy. Why is anybody? Why is anybody? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure anybody should be taking investment advice from the city of Seattle Human Resources <laughs> Department. I, I don't really know why it's necessary that there has to be these series of therapeutic emails that go out to employees about you know every issue under the sun, right? And hey. Maybe there's an opportunity here to dial some of that stuff back, right? Like, and focus on, you know, say stuff that matters more. And so I think this is sort of the the kind of frothy icing on the cake stuff that is built up over time in, in city of Seattle government that is is coming back to bite them right now because you have an email like this that goes out at the, exactly the wrong time. All right. Well, we should say this is not necessarily in direct response to the city employees push for fairer wage. But you can see where it does feel a little on the nose. Mayor Harrell originally proposed a 1% cost of living raise in March before reportedly moving to a 2.5% increase. Clearly, the person who sent out the uh, email from HR with the financial tips isn't in on the cost of living conversation. Well, I I will say, you know, it does say right at the top, this has been approved for distribution by the mayor's office. So this it's not like this was unvetted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, those turkeys, man, for real. Those turkeys. <laughs> Wait, no, this turkey. We are going to end on the biggest hot button issue of all, Thanksgiving turkey. It is Thanksgiving next week. Kind of snuck up on me for real. Time to start thinking about that big meal. Seattle Times asked the question this week, one that's been on my mind for years. Why do we even eat turkey if nobody really seems to like it? We had a similar conversation on our team and here at KUOW. Is the turkey slowly going by the wayside, you two? I'm curious, and if you think it is, what is the main course on your Thanksgiving table this year? Oh my God, who doesn't like turkey? I, I, this is a this is a kind of blasphemy of hearing. I mean, <laughs> I love. So look, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. I love everything about Thanksgiving. You know why? Because it is a sort of distilled essence of a holiday. You eat and drink to excess, and you sit there and watch. The Detroit Lions fulfill their constitutional obligation to lose a football game on Thanksgiving Day. And like, and it's my favorite holiday and I love the turkey and all the the, the traditional sort of Thanksgiving food. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm hope, I hope it's not going away. It's not going away in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. It's yeah, not going away yeah, in my yeah. house either. I floated the idea yeah. of no turkey and I was outvoted. So. Oh, I would be so happy with no turkey all sides, but you know, I haven't hosted Thanksgiving in a long time, so I don't really, I don't really get to get a say. All I can do is uh, bring my Southern dressing to mm. the table, uh, which I can basically <laughs> make in my sleep um Uh-oh. it starts with uh with two sticks of butter and uh cornbread homemade cornbread onion rolls uh oh it's delicious and i i feel very sad for people who eat that uh that dry uh crumbly bread pudding that uh y'all call stuff we have stuffing on my table erica barnett we could have a little <laughs> we could have a little cage fight about this the, the thought of erica's dressing sounds a little scary (laughs) (laughs) well you're not invited 
truly it is about the sides because that's the stuff that people fight about the most the turkey is the centerpiece but it's the sides where you can get a little variety going my personal favorite side is actually stuffing but turnips is the one that separates me from most of my family because nobody likes turnips except for this girl right here and it's a thanksgiving tradition on my table erica what would you not do without besides besides the dressing boy uh gravy I'm a big mm. gravy fan and I'm a fan of making multiple different kinds of gravy. Mm. Like, yeah. I, I just think just leave the turkey behind and just, you know, give me a gravy boat, some biscuits and some dressing. Yeah, a little salmon. I'll take salmon instead of turkey. Sandy, do you cook? I do cook turkey. Yeah, I, for me, the holy trinity is turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, right? Like, like mm-hmm. that is the, that, that, you know. That's the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> My, <Thanksgiving laughs> My husband would call that the perfect bite. Yeah, yeah, and so everything else is fine. Like if, you know, you want to have the cranberry sauce or the pumpkin whatever and I, i'm okay with that but but give me my turkey my uh my mashed potatoes my stuffing and 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 yes gravy on lathered liberally on top of all of that and and i'm a happy camper <laughs> all right well one last thing before we go for real what do you do with the carcass because in this house it goes right out the door i don't oh, even wow. bother i oh. like turkey so little that oh. thanksgiving i cut off whatever i want and everything goes after that it's leftover oh, sacrilege. <laughs> I, I, I make stock. I make stock with it. Oh, yeah. I can't. Yeah. It's easy. Just get a big pot. Throw it it's, in there. I Put can't. some water I'm in. So Put some over salt. It by You're the done. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, if, if I was left to my own devices, I would be picking at that carcass for like weeks, right? Afterwards. But uh um, but I I, I get uh outvoted and vetoed, and yeah, the, the turkey gets stripped and as Erica, as Erica says, like either it gets used for stock or it gets distributed around and stuff. So, but yeah, I will nibble on that dead bird for days afterwards. Oh, we've alienated all the vegetarians. <laughs> That's right. Here's yeah. my last piece of advice. If you're going to eat at the refrigerator, leave a fork in the pie tin so you don't have to keep pulling out new ones to grab a bite all day long. I hope you both get plenty of food next week, whatever it is. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, happy yeah, Happy Thanksgiving. Erica Barnett is the publisher and editor of Publicola, and Sandeep Kaushik is a partner at Soundview Strategies. They're sparring partners as well on the Seattle Nice podcast. Thanks so much, you two. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for having Thank you. us. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you Monday.